0: A couple of weeks ago, Jackie Pratcher gave a testimony. The testimony said something that I thought was very, very, not unique, but so true that it just, it hit me. And it's not that I hadn't heard some words like it before. It's just the fact that when you hear it in the testimony, it's somebody who's actually saying it. They're telling the truth. They're telling a story of something that happened to them. And what Jackie said was, is that I believed in God, but I did not know him. And I'm wondering how many people have that kind of relationship with Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They believe he walked on this earth. They believe in his resurrection. They believe in, they believe that he, you know, they healed people when he walked on the water. They believe all of that kind of stuff. But they don't know him. There's a difference. Jesus didn't talk about salvation as somebody who simply believed that he existed and he did the things that he did. He talked about salvation as someone that knew him and knows him. Over time, sheep recognize the voice of a shepherd. And what happens is, is that as a believer, you recognize the voice of the Lord. You hear the voice of the Lord. Now, I've said this too often, and some people have rebuked me on this, and, and they're correct on that. And that is, as I said, that I'm too Baptist to let God speak to me audibly. Do you understand? But what I'm trying to say to you is, is that, but I can tell you that there have been times when the Lord has spoken to me. And I know that is he who is speaking to me. You see, a shepherd, a shepherd would go out and they would, you know, they tended their sheep. But at night, sometimes, they would come and get a few rocks and they'd put the rocks around. And they didn't have to go but very high because sheep are very timid animals. They're not going to jump over anything. And then they would herd their sheep in through what they would call the gate, which would be this uh, opening that was there. They'd get the sheep in there and then the shepherd would lay down as the door to that that gate, that, that, uh, that fence or whatever they made, that pen that he made. And so in the morning, the shepherd, when the shepherd woke up, the shepherd would call the sheep and the sheep would come out recognizing the shepherd's voice. Now here's the interesting thing about that is, is that sometimes I've heard this, I don't know this, I've never experienced this myself, that two shepherds could get together. You know, spend the night. You know, watching their uh, their flocks at night, kind of thing, and they'd let their sheep kind of mingle together. And when the time came that they were going to pin them up, each shepherd could call his own sheep, and they would go to the to the place of the shepherd that they knew. This is a relationship that Jesus is talking about here. And though there are those, and He talks about this, too, those who do not have a shepherd, they wander. They wander. You realize that? And I wonder how many people are just wandering. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at what it says. I'm just going to go to John. I'm going to be in 1 Peter. Don't worry about it. But I'm coming to this, looking at John, what Jesus said about this. He said in John 10, 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. How does that become become the door of the sheep? He laid down where he had that pen understand that he laid down right in that area he was the door of the sheep he says all who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them the true sheep those that were believers I am the door if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is going to say that a, this a few times. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd who, go, who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And I looked this word up. to Make sure, even this morning, I looked it up one more time to make sure, absolutely sure. It's a word in the Greek that means, I know by experience. Not simply, I've been told about, I know about. See, a lot of people know God in the sense that they know about him. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about experience. He says, I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. What does that say? He's going to be speaking to you. Understand that. that's what it's saying there. He said, so he said they will listen to so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So we realize that when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd here, and he is talking about what sheep, those people that will believe in him, he says that they will know his voice, and you will know when he is speaking to you. Now, how did he get to be that good shepherd? Well, I'll tell you first. Jesus first, Jesus lived a sinless life. This is where he came from. Let's look at this in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. I realize what happened here. I'm going to say some of these words you could say. You said that last week and you said that. I'm going to say this several weeks in a row. Just going to let you know that. God created us in his image. We are a remnant of that image. We have within us those characteristics that God has in himself and we were created in the image so that we would have those characteristics. Where God is a just God, we seek justice. Understand, when, when somebody hurts somebody, what do you want to do? You want to seek justice, which is justice is what? Some kind of retribution upon that individual so that they can, uh, so that the, the penalty is paid for, essentially. We look for justice in that. Now, we've had our justice marred just like everything else that we've had that was the image of God. And sometimes we seek vengeance, and that's not what we we should do. But we long for justice. Now, understand, just a, just a matter of, of fact, just at one time meant faithful to the original. It meant faithful to the original. In other words, if you were just, you were just like the original. You understand what I'm saying? That's what it means. Just like the original. And so let me give you another characteristic of God. God is holy. He separated himself from the unjust. Holiness means that you, are, you separate yourself from that which is sinful. Now, the fall of man corrupted the image of God within us. And so that within ourselves, we are not just anymore. You know what we are not? We're not faithful to the original anymore. You realize that? We're not like God in, in this. Now, if Jesus had sinned, he would have been under the same judgment as that we have without him. We have the, he'd had the same judgment. He would have been not faithful to the original. He would not have been just either. He, Jesus, by the way, is the only perfection that we can know and realize this. But here's what has happened to us. <clears throat> the devil preys on our humanity. He wants us. And what is he? You know, the thing about it is he cannot steal our, our salvation. I can tell you what he can steal, though. He can steal your joy. He can steal your, the presence of God in your life. Uh, he, can, he can steal the purpose that God has for you. He can steal a lot of things in your life, you see. And so he tried the very same thing with Jesus, didn't he? He tried to pray on him. He tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Jesus did not turn stones into bread, no matter what that popular song said. He did not turn stones into bread. He tempted Jesus to turn, he, he t- to, um, tempted Jesus with the richness of the riches of the world. He tempted Jesus with the pride of calling the angels to catch him if he jumped off of this, this high uh, pinnacle. And so the devil knows that if he disqualified Jesus, he could not have been our good shepherd. You see, realize what, he got to be our good shepherd by what? By he never sinned. Now, the devil is a strange creature. I mean, you realize this, he's a strange creature. He can live in the throne of God for an unknown eternity and still not know the nature of God. You realize that's what happened. I don't know how long that he was in heaven with God, but he was right there and and he still didn't know the nature of God. He can know Jesus in heaven and still think that he's going to make him sin. <laughs> you believe that? He can, he, he, you know, he's going to be ultimately defeated and he has to know this. He's not a dumb creature. I didn't say that. I said a strange creature. He says, but he will fight on just to destroy God's creation as much as he can. But Jesus came to earth sinless and he remained sinless that we might know his voice. Secondly, Jesus suffered. How did he get to be our shepherd? He suffered. Verse 23 of 1 Peter 2. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered... He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus did not try to avenge himself or administer justice in his words. Jesus may have rebuked the scribes, the Pharisees and the chief priests, but he did not condemn them. He could have condemned them, but he didn't condemn them. And he didn't do so because there's, we're not talking about a salvation that is Only at this instant, it is at this instant. Do you understand when you come to know the Lord? It is now. But it is now and not and forever. It is a place that we're going to be someday. We realize our salvation when we are actually in heaven with him. And so what we have now is a hope. We have a hope. And even in those scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and chief priests and all of those people, there was the the opportunity for any of them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might know this hope. In Romans chapter 8, 24, it says, For in this hope we were saved. We were saved in a hope. It says, For now, hope that is not seen is not hope. Or rather, seen; rather is not hope. But for who hopes for what he sees? We don't realize our salvation. Our salvation is really coming to us. We have a hope for that salvation that we're going to live in eternity with our Lord. Now we're not talking about this judgment either. This judgment is not going to be on this earth. See, the ultimate judgment that we will have is that we will have a judgment at the end of our life. At the time when Jesus returns and when that happens, what we're going to find is is that they'll be judged. And the believers are going to be judged to see what they have done, whether good or bad. They, that's true. They're going to be judged, but they're not going to be judged whether they're going to go to, to heaven or not. What's going to happen is the, but the people who do not know him. Do not recognize his voice. Do not know him in such a way that they can say, I know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that, I, not that I simply believe in him. Not that I believe certain things about him. What's going to happen? Their names are not going to be in the book of life. And that judgment is, is, is a, not subjective at all. It is very objective. If your name is not in that book, you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. It says in Revelation 20, verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm not saying that on my own authority. I'm saying that on what the Bible says. I'm saying this on what, what Jesus has said in this. So Jesus was insulted and beaten so that our names would be found in that book of life. And he is depending on those who trust in him to follow him to be his own possession, that our names will be in that book. It's not about condemnation. It's about the opportunity for salvation. He revealed that this life is not all there is. And if we put all of our eggs in this basket, we are going to be sorely disappointed because there will be, as I said, no subjectivity in that judgment. If you stand before the, in that great white throne and your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, if it's just not there, you will be thrown in. Now, I don't know what an eternity of hell would be like. I'm going to tell you that up front. I do not know what it would be like. I, I don't know what burning to death would be like or continually burning. I don't know what drowning is like. I don't know what it's like to fall off a very tall building or something. I don't know of any of those things. I've dreamed that one, but I'm not, certainly don't know what it's like. But let me tell you, Jesus did not want hell for you. I don't want it for you either. I do not want anyone That has ever, 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 that I've ever known, that I've ever seen, that I've even had the opportunity to preach to and I may never have met. I don't want any of them, not one of them, to ever go to hell. Uh, Several years ago, when Osama, Osama bin Laden was killed, one of the newspapers called me up and said, Are you excited that Osama bin Laden's been killed? And I said, No. I said, no, I am not excited when anybody goes to hell. Not anybody. And not even him. You realize that, that kept me from getting in the paper, that's for sure. But that's the way it is. Jesus healed us from the wound of sin. Let's go to verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that... We might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now here's what it says. Jesus took our sins upon himself. That death is the penalty of sin. And he took them upon ourselves. And he was hung on a tree. Why is that? It says in Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death. For the wages of sin is death. You realize this. He was, he did not commit the sins, but he certainly took those sins upon himself. So this is the case. And he is put to death and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on that, on the tree. Did his body remain all night on the tree? No. But you shall bury him the same day. Did they bury him the same day? Yes. Yes. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Was he cursed because of that sin that was placed on him? Yes. Okay. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Here's the situation. This came all the way from Deuteronomy. We knew how Jesus Christ was going to uh, be um, killed. He was going to be crucified on a tree because he had taken the sins which were worthy of death upon himself. And sin is a crime punishable by death. So understand, when I, I, I say these words to you, when I say these words to you, I'm not telling you something that I want to believe that I believe. I'm saying these words because there is a scripture themselves and so many people are wandering around right now. And they, they know about, they believe in, but they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to this point where we say in, in Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What we're saying here is, is that the people don't have the life that God wants them to have. And they won't have the eternal life that God wants them to have either. So Jesus died for us. That we would not, simply so that we would, we would say, okay, I can continue to go on with my life and I can do whatever I want to do now because I'm going to go to heaven someday. And a lot of people who are not here in church today believe that. And that's the reason they're not in church. I don't need anything else. But what happened was Jesus died for our sins so that we might die to sin and live for the righteousness that he has for us. But the average Christian does not understand that. They say, well, I'm going to heaven anyway, so What? Well, there's a lot of so what's in, on this. One of the things that happened to us that once we got saved, sin no longer has a hold on us. Realize that. Sin no longer should have that hold on us. We should not be able to walk in the, the ways of the world anyway and just continue on in this in this uh, debauchery and things that we're uh, involved in. You see, sin has no longer... We're no longer slaves to sin's penalty. You will, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you know him you will never go to hell that penalty is not there anymore for you but you also there's no longer slaves you're no longer slaves to sin's temptation now i realize you're going to be tempted i realize that you're going to fall it sometimes i understand that but it's not because you don't have the holy spirit within you and you couldn't resist it's because you don't resist yes we have sin and we continue to sin because we still have that fallen nature But while we will still sin, that is not our calling. We are called to die to sin and live to righteousness. And so that what has happened is, is that in the scripture, they gave us a way that we understand so that when we do sin, that we can come right back into that righteousness again. We fail. Yes, we fall down. Oh, I fell down. But you know what? We don't stay down. We get up. For the scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness, folks. See, this would be impossible without Jesus' sacrifice. Because what are we depending on? We're depending on what he paid on the cross one more time to forgive us of those sins. And when we sin, understand this as believers... If you think that there's, you can just sin and go on, there becomes a, a separation between you and God. Not that you lose your salvation. Don't get me wrong on that. But you don't know that God is there. God is there. But you don't know it. And you step away. And you step away. And you step away. And what you want, you want to come, be restored. You want to be restored in this. And so the, you confess. You confess. It says in that First Peter passage... Jesus' wound has healed us. Now, that's strange for you. That word wound means a mark after being struck. It means a black eye, a swollen area, a stripe. Some of them might, yours might say stripe. Now, the interesting thing about it is, is that it's in the singular. (laughs) Every translation I just about read said by his wounds, but it's in the singular. It's by his wound. It is not simply that he came and he was struck once or twice or, or 39 times. It was the fact that it is all one big wound, one big price that was paid for us. Now, the word for healed is, is, a, is a, I'm going to give you a little Greek here. It's an aorist passive. Aorist simply means this. It means it is completely done and it is over. You hear what I'm saying? It is completely done and it is over. And it is a passive. So it has it would mean you have been healed. So by his wound you have been healed. And we're not talking about physical healing. Obviously. If you look at the context here. It says we're not healed from all diseases or we would have never gotten sick. No believer would ever get sick if that were the case. We're healed from the curse of sin. You know, a lot of times I read a fairy tale. Believe it or not, I read children's books as much as I do anything else. And I read those stories and I find in them, there's pictures of salvation. How about Sleeping Beauty? Remember what Sleeping Beauty's uh, curse was? She would sleep until she has had a handsome prince kiss her. That's the story. I think of that in my Lord Jesus Christ. I was asleep I was unaware. And guess what? He came to me. I think of Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. An enchantress curses a prince for his lack of compassion. He is transformed into a beast until he learns to love and be loved. Do you realize what transformed the beast? The beauty. The beauty transforms the beast. And I think in terms that I was a beast, and he came and he transformed me. You realize, here's the story. I was cursed because of my own sin. I knew that there was a penalty for death. And I was cursed to die in a relationship without God. But Jesus paid that penalty for me. And the relationship between me and God was made alive. It says, then Jesus, the great shepherd, has returned him to himself. Let's look at verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, I wonder how many of us can honestly remember when we were wandering around without Jesus. And the word for straying is, is passive. It means that we were being led astray. It doesn't mean we were straying, but that we were being led astray. A lot of people don't realize that the world is leading them astray. A lot of people, I think of the most people know you've got a purpose in your life, but you don't know what it is. Let me give you a little a short deal here. Uh, when Rick Warren uh, wrote The Purpose Driven Life, do you realize he sold millions of copies? He said that he made so much money after writing that book that he could buy an island. I mean, I don't know how much money that is, but that's a lot of money. And and the situation was, is that was it only the saved people that bought that book? And the answer is no. A lot of lost people bought that book. Do you know why the lost people bought that book? Because they were wandering. They were looking for someone to tell them, what is the purpose for my living? They were wandering and they were being led astray. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd that we find not only in the New Testament. He's the good shepherd from the Old Testament. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Sure sounds like Jesus. Now remember I said we were created in God's image. Now, God is full of purpose. He's full of purpose. You know, he created us with a purpose and he indelibly printed a purpose upon our lives. And, you know, you really don't know God until you discover that purpose that he has for you. Purpose is found in how you're gifted. Purpose is found in the Lord. Psalm 57, 2 says, I cry out to God most high, To God who fulfills his purpose for me. Let me tell you this. I'm going to tell you this and you're not going to do this this morning. You're going to have to do this on your own. This is kind of homework. Finding your purpose requires a few things. Let me say what you need. You will need a notebook to write what the Lord says to you. I mean, I'll tell you something, folks. We have dull memories, but we can have sharp pencils. Write it down. You will need a Bible to lead you. You're going to need a Bible in order to be able to, do, to say, you know, and I know I'm going in the right direction because it, it's also in this word that I've got here. You will need to pray so that the purpose will be his for you. You will hear from him and know what he wants for you in this. And you will need solitude so that you won't be distracted. You're not going to be doing this while you're watching TV. Understand that. And you will need time. Time that you're not going to sit down and say in five minutes, I want this done, Lord. I got, to get, I got other things to do. You will need time because the Lord speaks on his timetable and not on ours. But if you will do this, if you will take this time, if you will get before him, he will show you your purpose. You know, isn't it interesting that the scripture says there that you have returned to the shepherd and overseer your souls? This too is passive. It means you have now been returned. You've been returned. It is as if we were kidnapped and some great hero has bought us back from the kid, bought us back from the kidnapper and he's returning us to our homes. This is the story of Jesus. Jesus is the overseer. And some translations say bishop of our soul. It's the same word there. In a New American Standard Bible says guardian. But the basic meaning is overseer. And what that means is, is that I voluntarily put myself under the authority and the scrutiny of my Savior. You know, could could the guy, could the man who died for me want anything but good for me? Do you understand what I'm saying? He paid this price. Do you think he wants to do bad things now? No. Jeremiah 29 11 says for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. But understand this good news is for those who know him.